1: In the fall of 2005, a Santa Clara County judge in California made a ruling that would be a catalyst to a series of disturbing and unimaginable things. A Superior Court judge ruled to allow the minor children of Roberta Allen and Mark Massetti to reside full-time with Mark, their father. This ruling was due to a custody hearing and divorce that the couple was going through. The reason Mark was deemed fit for custody, according to Vincent Chirello, the California Supreme Court judge who made the ruling, was because he could provide a more stable home environment for the children than their mother could. Their mother, Roberta, was homeless and lived in a shelter for a period of time. What the judge failed to see was the reasons for Roberta's dire strait, was a direct result of the treatment and abuse that she suffered at the hands of Mark, her ex. According to Roberta, she was depressed only after suffering years of persecution by Mark and she feared for her life and the lives of her children. She fled, not ran, the state, and even made her way to Canada to escape his abuse. Despite her relationship with her daughter was straining, She still wanted to be the primary caregiver and make sure that both of them were safe and protected. The shelters that she lived in were battered women's shelters. But Judge Cirello felt that Mark was a better parent than Roberta. Mark Massetti, who was convicted of bank fraud, a DUI, and even had a pending domestic violence charge out against him from Roberta. He even served time in jail as a result for violating his probation when he failed to attend a required drug and alcohol treatment. Roberta openly voiced her concerns about the ruling and even said that she felt the kids were in danger with Mark. She noted that they would be hungry and subjected to abuse and Mark would forbid them from contacting her. Regardless, Alicia, the couple's youngest child, who was 13 at the time, and her older brother, moved to Caress, California to live with their father, Mark. Mark ran a computer-based business out of his modular home. He and his buddy Gary Ulrich had a small business that they ran together, and both of them would do their work out of the comfort of Mark's home. Gregory was an odd man and in fact, he gave Alicia the creeps. She told her dad that one occasion, Greg gave her a note. It was a handwritten note to her, and in it, he asked if she wanted to watch him masturbate. Alicia showed the note to her father, who immediately took it to the authorities. The detectives at the Stanillis County Sheriff's Department interviewed both Mark and Alicia and found that there was enough evidence to draft an affidavit to obtain a search warrant for Gregory's house. In September of 2005, just a few short months after Alicia and her brother moved into their father Mark's home, the police found incriminating child pornography images on Gregory's computer of Alicia and Gregory. The images were enough to get him convicted of child molestation. But it was only a misdemeanor and in California... The crime is punishable by up to three hundred and sixty-five days in prison. Not even a year after the incident, on August thirteenth of two thousand and six, Gregory was released from prison and his sentence was suspended due to terminal cancer. That same time of year, the summer of two thousand and six, was was summer break in the school for Alicia. She was going to be beginning her freshman year in high school and she was 14 years old at the time. On August 11th, Alicia told her father she wanted to go to San Jose to visit some friends. Prior to moving to Caress, they lived in the Bay Area, and Alicia wanted to catch up and see some of her old friends. With her father's blessing, she packed a bag and took off with one of her two beloved pet chihuahua dogs. She left the other one at home. Later that evening, Alicia arrived in San Jose and called her father, Mark, to let him know that she was there. Two days later, on the 13th, Mark would get yet another call from Alicia. This time she was camping with some friends, but they were not in San Jose anymore. She didn't tell him exactly where they were going, but he knew that she would return in a few days because that's what she told him. On August 15th, The day that Alicia was expected to return home, she never did. A missing persons report was filed at the Caress Police Department. Because Alicia was 14 at the time of her disappearance, it was elevated to an endangered runaway. Just three months after Alicia failed to return home from her camping trip, Mark and her older brother were evicted from the home and forced to relocate. Mark decided to move down south to Los Angeles into the home of his girlfriend, Shelley Walker, and her young daughter. Alicia's older brother ended up going on to join the service. If Alicia ever did decide to come home, she wouldn't even know where to look because her home was moved yet again, but far away, actually over 300 miles away.
0: It's Nasty Boy CC, the truest story never told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from round the globe. Enjoy the show.
1: And eventually, Alicia's case would go cold. Roberta Allen, Alicia's mother, never gave up on the quest for bringing her home. She contacted the police department and expressed her concerns that Alicia was still being classified as a runaway and her case wasn't being taken as seriously as she hoped. She wondered why this wasn't being investigated as a homicide. Detectives explained to her that there was no evidence supporting any foul play and that is why they were unable to rush to judgment about anything. They did, however, feel that the case was worth looking into again, so a fresh set of eyes at the Stanillis County Police Department began to reinvestigate the case to see if there was anything they missed. While speaking with Roberta, they learned how she had lost custody of her children to Mark sometime back in the fall of 2005. She said the last time that she heard from her daughter was on Mother's Day of 2006, when she called to wish her a happy Mother's Day. Roberta stressed to police that her daughter would not simply run away and that she really felt something bad had happened to her. Following up on the case, the detective decided to speak with Shelly Walker, Mark's current living girlfriend, to see if she had any insight to offer them about the case. She said that she met and began dating Mark in the summer of 2006 and remembers when Alicia left to go camping with her friends. She didn't see her leave, but she was aware of the trip because initially she was supposed to fly out to San Jose on the 13th to pick Alicia up and bring her back home to Caress. The day before, on the 12th, Shelly recalls Mark approaching her about the arrangements and said that she wouldn't need to be making the flight out there because Alicia was going to be now getting a ride home from a friend's mom, and that she would be about a day late, so they expected her to return on the 14th. Shelly told the police that on the day of the 13th, she recalled Mark on the phone with a female, who she thought was Alicia. When he hung up the phone, he told her that it was Alicia, and that she told him that she was going camping with her friends, and that now she would be home on the 14th. Once Alicia didn't return home as planned, she was the one who went and filed the missing missing persons report with the Caress Police Department, not Mark. Now the police were looking to speak with Mark to see what he had to say. They made several attempts to contact him and finally they were able to reach him by phone. They asked Mark to go over the details of the last time he saw and spoke with his daughter Alicia. Before going into the day of her leaving for her trip, Mark offered police some information about a person that he was dating at the time. He stated that he was dating a heroin addict prior to Alicia disappearing. When detectives asked who Alicia was with when she left for her trip, Mark's answer was he was too busy with something he was doing around the house and he didn't notice what type of car she got into or who picked her up. He did say that she called him later that evening to let him know that she arrived at her friend's house and he knew her friend's name was Ashley, but he wasn't sure if that was the person who picked her up or not. Well, Ashley and Alicia were both 14 at the time. They're much too young to drive, so it's likely a parent or somebody else picked Alicia up. Detectives asked Mark if he felt something could have been bothering Alicia or would she have a reason to run away? He stated that she seemed stressed out about an upcoming court hearing that she had and she would be testifying against him in court. He also said that he didn't feel that she ran away because she didn't take much with her and she had two dogs that were her whole world and she left one of them behind. If she was planning on not returning, he expected her to have brought more of her stuff and especially both of her dogs. While detectives were reviewing the files, they came across three other family members who also gave statements to police when Alicia first went missing. The family members stated that they were away for a trip to Poland at the time of her disappearance, and when they returned, Mark told them that Alicia became a heroin addict and had overdosed the night before she was supposed to have left for her trip. He told them that he had an active warrant out for his arrest at the time, so he didn't want to get in trouble, so he didn't call the police or the paramedics. And like some scene out of Pulp Fiction, he, he called a good friend over, who thankfully was able to revive Alicia, and she miraculously left for her trip the following day. They also told, told detectives that Alicia was supposed to testify against Mark in an upcoming domestic abuse trial that Roberta, her mother, had against him. Interested in knowing more, they followed up on Mark's record and found that Alicia was indeed supposed to testify against him, but because she was a no-show to the trial, the charges against him were reduced significantly and he avoided serving any jail time. They suspect he would have likely served time because he was already convicted and this was not his first charge of abuse against Roberta. Knowing that this may have been a second offense, they would make the charges and the consequences more severe. But that never happened because the star witness to Roberta went missing. Another interesting item detectives came across was an undated conversation from the homeowner where Mark lived with Alicia and her brother prior to her disappearance. The property owner stated that a short time after Mark moved out, she discovered a large hole in the backyard that was covered with dirt and grass. On March 25, 2009, Caress Police Department were able to collect enough circumstantial evidence to convince the judge to allow them to search the property where Mark and Alicia once resided. It was there in the backyard that the decaying remains of Alicia were found. Not only was she buried in the backyard but her body was covered in a heavy black plastic wrap and covered in duct tape. Due to the decomposition, the remains had to be positively identified by dental records. But in the meantime, investigators wanted to set up surveillance on Mark. They contacted his sister, who confirmed that Mark moved to Los Angeles shortly after Alicia's disappearance and was living with his girlfriend and her young daughter. She also told him that when she asked Mark in the beginning of the disappearance what happened, he informed her to stay out of it and not to talk to the police because he was launching his own investigation. He said, quote, let me make one thing clear to you. Alicia did not run away, end quote. The FBI was brought in and they were able to find Mark at the apartment complex in Los Angeles. They confirmed with the mailman that it was indeed the home for Mark because he often delivered packages to him. Confirming it was Mark's residence they had and having found a dead body on property he once lived in, they decided to execute yet another search warrant for the apartment in Los Angeles. When detectives opened the door, they knew immediately from the smell and burning sensation on their skin that they had stumbled into a functioning methamphetamine lab. Immediately they evacuated the apartment for their own safety, but not before detaining Mark and bringing him down to the station for questioning. Mark was in a state of aggressive and manic behavior, and they gathered it was a result of him getting high off his own supply. His a- hands and forearms were covered in burns and he was in and out of consciousness. Officers recovered numerous beakers and hoses, heating flasks, gallons of solvents and chemicals, along with several baggies of a white substance that was later tested positive for meth. They were able to charge Mark with manufacturing a controlled substance and child abuse because they knew that at least one minor child was in the home with him, the daughter of Shelley Walker. Mark would eventually be charged and convicted of running an illegal meth lab and the judge sentenced him to five years in a California state prison. And as most assholes will do, he filed an appeal. In that, he argued that his rights were violated when the police executed a search warrant on his former residence where they ultimately discovered Alicia's remains. But that's besides the point. He said his rights are violated because in his defense, he argued that too. Here is a quick word from our sponsor.
0: We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems
1: much time had passed since Alicia's disappearance, and the proper address wasn't listed on the warrant. He further claimed that the courts failed to show a connection between the discovery of Alicia's remains and the possibility for any evidence being found in his apartment in L.A. The court disagreed and provided the following analysis. Mark was Alicia's father. They lived together in the same home where Alicia's body was eventually recovered he did not report Alicia missing. His girlfriend did. He left the property six months after Alicia disappeared. He told his sister to stay out of the investigation and that he knew Alicia did not run away. When interviewed by police, Mark said that she left personal possessions such as clothes, a computer, and her dog. At the time Mark was vacating the premises in Caress, the landlord observed Mark's sister helping him move and clean out the residence. Based on the totality of the circumstances, we are satisfied that there is substantial evidence to show a fair probability that evidence related to Alicia's death would be found at Mark's new residence in L.A. even two and a half years later. This was not a mere person of interest in a cold case homicide. This was a search of a home of a parent of a victim whose homicide of disposal of her body took place in the prior family home. There was a fair probability that this victim's father, Mark, may have retained Alicia's personal effect, electronic communications, or the computer he owned during the time of her disappearance. These items would be evidence of a crime and likely still in his possession. Mark's claims of stale facts in the affidavit does not persuade us to find otherwise. Meanwhile, the cause of death for Alicia came back it was due to a drug overdose. Police had to wait to officially name Mark as the suspect in his own daughter's death. It would be a few years, but they had Mark right where they wanted him. He wasn't going anywhere fast because he was already in jail, serving time for the meth charges and child abuse. In March of 2012, almost six years after his daughter disappeared, In three years after her remains were discovered, prosecutors stated they were seeking the death penalty against him. In the 52 count indictment, Mark was charged with 45 separate counts related to the sexual abuse of his daughter on 20 different occasions. Prosecutors alleged that Mark drugged and raped his daughter over a nine month period from 2005 to 2006. The charges state they estimate he drugged and killed her on or around August 16th of 2006. They allege while engaging in sexual acts with his daughter, Mark would give her a combination of prescription and street drugs to render her into a state of unconsciousness so he could rape and molest her. They recovered thousands of images of child pornography and in 54 of those images were acts of abuse that Mark was performing on Alicia while she was drugged. He was also accused of sexually assaulting two other minor females. They were not identified, but they were known to him and there was evidence of him setting up a hidden camera in one of their bedrooms. They even found evidence that he was drugging them prior to sexually assaulting and filming them. Like the typical narcissistic jerk he is, Mark not only whined about damn near everything from his rights being violated to the lack of supporting evidence, these annoying complaints only served as delays for justice for Alicia. The original defense attorney that was representing Mark for over two years in his murder trial asked to be removed from the trial. In yet another proceeding, the judge asked the lawyer why he wished to be removed and the response was he was given some correspondence from Mark and they had a complete breakdown in communication. The lawyer refused to disclose the content of the message based on client attorney privilege and even after the judge offered to have a closed courtroom he still refused so the judge dismissed him from representing Mark. Mark initially decided to represent himself. The judge gives him ample warning and advises him that such a thing is allowed, but certainly not recommended for someone who is not experienced in facing the death penalty. While representing himself, he also had advisory counsel who filed a motion on his behalf to have the murder charge that alleges Mark killed his daughter while sexually assaulting her thrown out. The pathologist told the grand jury that Alicia died from a mixed drug intoxication. Toxicology reports show that she had opiates, morphine, amphetamine, methamphetamine, benzoprines, diazepam, methadone, and antidepressants in her system. The motion argued that toxicologists' opinion was very clear and that none of the drugs were ingested at lethal levels just prior to her death. And that hair test clearly proved that she was taking these drugs up to two years prior to her death. The motion literally says this, quote, Just because the defendant chose to molest Alicia on several occasions while she was rendered non-combative by the ingestion of prescription drugs, we cannot ignore the fact that Alicia was ingesting these same drugs for at least 12 months when the defendant had no access to her, end quote. Prosecutors argued that Mark's method of drugging girls to commit sexual crimes continued after Alicia's death when he drugged an eight year old and a 17 year old girl and videotaped himself while performing sexual acts on them. The trial was set to begin in 2017, but that didn't happen due to a series of pathetic and cowardly stalls put on by Mark. He would never be prepared for his hearings and the excuses ranged from a sewage flood in his cell that damaged documents to his lack of access to documents because he was in shackles, or he also claimed to have no access to any decent writing surface, such as a desk, and he was forced to use the concrete floor, which he found insufficient. Finally, Mark decided he wanted to seek legal counsel, so the judge was able to assign him a new attorney, and the trial was set for October of 2017. Opening arguments began, and the prosecution said Mark killed Alicia by overdosing her on a toxic mixture of sedatives so he could have his way with her sexually, and they had proof of it on the documented images he took while performing the heinous acts. Eight years ago, her body was found buried in the backyard of the same home she lived in with her father when she went missing. The defense argued that Alicia did die in the home she shared with her father, but that forensic pathologists did not determine the manner of death, so the jury would have to decide how she died after hearing all of the evidence. They further claimed that Alicia kept a diary and she said herself that if she ever died, it would be from suicide. Although they acknowledged her death was a tragic one, they state it would not require a guilty verdict. They also reminded the jury that there was insufficient material to do a proper DNA test recovered from under Alicia's fingernails, and the coroner was unable to find any fingerprints or such evidence on her body. The trial was expected to last months. Suddenly and rather unexpectedly, Mark changed his plea to guilty, just six weeks after the jury was selected in his capital murder trial. His decision to plea would spare the family from having to witness the graphic and disturbing images that were being shown to the jury in court. It also spared him from the death penalty. He had photographs and video evidence of over 40 sexual assaults on Alicia alone. The family was relieved and so was the jury to have been spared. But Mark wasn't about to get off so easily. In order for prosecutors to accept his guilty plea, they made a requirement that turned out to be over an hour long. They read each and every charge he had against him, all 49 crimes, and after each one was read, they made him say his plea of guilty. Impact statements and sentencing was scheduled for a little over a month after the change in his plea. And like the disgusting animal he is, he attempted to appeal his guilty plea. When Alicia's family asked for a comment, they simply said, quote, he uses the courts to torture us, end quote. The judge ultimately denied his request to reverse his plea, but Mark, yet again, requested a do-over stating that he had insufficient counsel and incompetent legal representation at the time that he changed his plea. Finally, in February of 2018, a Stanislaus County judge sentenced Mark to spend the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of parole. The judge said, quote, The defendant took advantage repeatedly of the most sacred position of trust. He molested his daughter to death. Wrapped her in a plastic bag, and buried her. A victim impact statement was read and another was played from an audio recorder. Both were victims of marks after Alicia's death. One said quote, I just hate him. He deserves to die. He really does. This will conclude the episode. Thank you so much for listening.